welcome to the Jet Center podcast. I'm uh, Sports Editor Steve Lyons, and as usual, I'm joined by our sports columnist Mike McIntyre. It's episode 30. Big milestone, Mike. Um, we're both at home today, or kind of. I'm at home. I'm on vacation. I'm sitting in my front room, looking out my front window at the beautiful greenery that's being uh, produced by the rain over the last little bit, and. You're in your car, as usual, down the street somewhere, um, so that your dogs don't disturb us. And uh, my children. My I children, too. Yes. Although I, they're... I don't have any of those at my house, either <laughs> of those, dogs or children. I uh, And I'm actually off today, Steve. I've, I've got this real hard-ass of a boss who, who doesn't give me a lot of days off. So I was doing the math. Yesterday marked... Uh, 21 out of 22 days working. So it feels nice to not have to write anything today. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> so J- Jason Bell, assistant sports editor, is filling in for me this week while I'm on vacay. Um, so you can blame him for not giving you days off this week. That's right. Well, I actually blame the Jets because, um, of course, the Winnipeg Jets got eliminated just over a week ago. But then they ended up having a pretty newsworthy week this past week. So... I might have used a couple of days owing earlier in the week, but I didn't want to miss out on the draft lottery, on injured Mark Shifley speaking, on injured Brian Little speaking, on Kevin Shoveldayoff and Paul Maurice speaking. So the Jets have kind of given us a lot to write about this week. So naturally, I wanted to stick around for that. Yeah, okay. Well, thanks for doing that, Mike. Um, I appreciate, we all appreciate that. Um, so let's get to the first period of our Jet Cetera, episode 30 podcast. Um, I'm not sure that was good grammar, but <laughs> does grammar really matter in a podcast? Uh, I don't think probably. so. Uh, so um, let's let's start with, uh, Mike, I wanted to talk, you have a column in today's paper, I read it, I have the newspaper delivered to my door, and so I can read it in the morning, uh, I love, still love doing that, and um, so i um, You've put Kevin Chevrolet off on the hot seat a little bit here. Um, you know, the reality is is that the Jets have, were built to win. They had this draft and develop plan uh, where they, they, and they were a contender for the Stanley Cup just a couple of years ago. Um, some things have gone a little sideways. Last year, they were eliminated in the first round uh, by the St. Louis Blues, who went on to win the Cup. And then um, this year, you know, all kinds of things has been going wrong this year, but uh, then they were just recently, like you said, eliminated in this play-in series by the Flames. Um, so, I, you know, I have, you know, I, I can certainly cite some things that I would be critical of Kevin Shovelday off of. I'm not going to get to that right off the hop here. Um, you have been as well here. Uh, is there any, does he have any outs? Do the injuries give him an out? Does the Mark Shifley hit uh, from Kachuk give him an out? Does Liney being injured give him an out? Um, does Dufflin, Dustin Bufflin surprising the team and, uh, you know, basically bailing on them at the beginning of the season give him an out? Does, 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 does he does he have some outs here? Well, I think, you know, he does, but I don't know that in the grand scheme of things, uh, Steve, that that really matters. I mean, this is a results-oriented business, right? And, um, I mean, that's why... I'm not. I'm not saying that Kevin Shovelayoff should be fired today. You know, shown the door today because of of his Jets not even making the playoffs this year. Technically, um, 
I'm not saying that. I'm saying, though, that he should be under tremendous pressure to fix the mess that the Jets kind of have on their hands right now, some of which is his fault, uh, some of which I would I would agree is beyond his control. Uh, but he can only control the here and now, and that's why, to me, uh, given the Jets have one of the best goalies in the league, given that they have a very expensive uh, forward core that's locked up long-term and an aging captain who is not, you know, his, he's going to start to decline if he hasn't already. Uh, this is a team that is supposed to be in win-now mode, not building for the future. We had years of building for the future. The future is supposed to be now. And to me, that's why this is the most important offseason for Kevin Chevaldeoff. He has to fix things. And if he can't, I wonder if after 10 years, I mean, we know True North is loyal sometimes to a fault, Steve, but after 10 years, is it time to get a fresh voice at the helm? Uh, you would have seen in my column today, I went and looked at the tenure of all GMs. I mean, Kevin Chevaldeoff, I believe, is the sixth longest tenured general manager in the league. And of the people ahead of him, several of them have won Stanley Cups in that time. So to me, the spotlight is on Chevaldeoff. Um, maybe it's not entirely fair because I agree with you. They had sort of a, a bad hand dealt to them in some ways. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with him, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on the results uh, part that you mentioned there. There's all kinds of things that happen through all kinds of te- all the teams. You know, I mean, there's always uh, variables or whatever. But ultimately, it's it's a it's a results business. Somebody asked me recently, "What would you do? How do you know uh, he's not a good GM? Or how do you know that you know what makes you think you know better than he does?" And frankly, I don't know. Uh, better how to manage a hockey team better than Kevin Sheveldeoff, not even close. Um, frankly, I'm not even 100% sure all the time whether he's a good general manager. But the thing about covering sports over the years, and when, you know, I've done this a long time, is that it always goes to results. So like, I can I can judge a coach by his record. Right. I can judge a, a baseball player by his batting average. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, I don't need to know what goes into hitting a, a fastball. I can judge by whether he's good at it or not, by the results of whether he does it or not, right? You know, so, um, you know, there's some things. What I would say, though, is I, I'm going to say something about one thing I think that was very mismanaged here, um, and it starts it starts a number of years ago, is what Dayoff has done with his defense core. Now, in my books, I would have always given Jacob Truba the money that he was asking for when he was asking for it long, long time ago. Um, you would have then had a happy Jacob Truba in Winnipeg for a number of years, and possibly he would still be a happy Jacob Truba in Winnipeg. You drafted a guy, and I've said this many times here, you drafted a guy very high in the first round, and he was going to be a pillar on your defense for a long period of time. You need to do what you got to do to make that guy happy. Neil Pionk is no Jacob Truba. I don't care I don't care how many points he had this year. And then well, Michael, yeah, we, and you we, saw in that Calgary series, Steve, the Jets sure could have used a Jacob Truba, right? I oh, mean, Neil, Neil, yeah. Pionk, Neil Pionk got physically manhandled by the big 
strong, mean, nasty Calgary Flames. And I would suggest most of the Jets got manhandled by the bigger, stronger Flames. And that was glaringly evident to me. The Jets need some size. They need some grit and they need some some surliness, some nastiness on the blue line or else they're going to get eaten for lunch by teams that, especially in the playoffs, that, that really step up the physical play. Yeah, I, I, I totally disagree with what Josh Morrissey said this week, uh, you know, in, the, in our paper and to everybody about how the Jets were not manhandled. That's, I, you know, Josh, I'm not sure what game you were watching. But, you know, back to this defense core for a bit, if you knew, and then if you knew that you were going to have to get rid of Truba because he was not, at, after he was disgruntled for a couple of years, there was no way he was going to re- resign here. He was done with Winnipeg. He was tired of the BS of trying to get a contract out of them. And then, so then, now maybe you let Tyler Myers walk, but I, I, I do not understand how you ever let Ben Chirot walk. Yeah. And, you know, and so they lost. Truba, you know, Sherratt, Myers, and then Bufflin, and as Paul Maurice said, a thousand pounds on defense. That was a great, that was a good line, Paul Maurice, yes. Yeah, so this has just been, that's mismanagement. I don't care what you say, it's mismanagement, because if you knew you're, if if you, one of those guys you had to kind of try to keep no matter what, like, even Tyler Myers for, for, you know, even at an escalator at a higher price, do you know what I mean? Like, um, you're paying you're paying Blake Wheeler a lot of money at a high price that he's sure he, you know what I mean. And so um, some of these guys would have looked really good on that defense court, yeah. And I guess that's where it circles back a little bit to Bufflin. But I would agree, Steve. I don't think you can just completely cast this off and say, well, but Dustin Bufflin screwed us here. The fact is, even if you had, even if you were banking on on having Bufflin back this year, but letting all those other guys walk. Don't forget, Dustin Bufflin missed half of last year with exactly. three different injuries. Exactly. This was a guy who was, you know, clearly on on a downturn anyways. And I'm not sure that it was a wise decision to even think you could go into this season tying all your hopes to Dustin Bufflin. Um, and so to me, that's where the entire focus of the offseason has to be, fixing this blue line and fixing it ASAP. <laughs> Folks, we're back for the second period of our Jet Cetera podcast. Um, a couple things here I wanted to bring up, Mike. You, uh, we, we touched on it just a little bit in the first period there about Josh Morrissey's comments this week, saying that um, the Jets were gritty enough. I'm not going to. De- I'm not going to deny that the team showed tremendous grit this year. They they had, you know, a lot of injuries, and you know, for my money, really. I thought that this team this year had, you know, a glue yeah. uh, that kept it together and kept it competitive and, and really competitive right as the pandemic hit. And so I, I would not deny their grit. But, I mean, grit, frankly, can only get you so far in the NHL, I think, when you're uh, uh, undermanned and, and, and undersized. Do you know what I mean? And, and so I think... It, it, it gets back to what you were saying. The Jets have fallen in love with, and this maybe goes to management as well, and maybe to coaching. I'm not. I'm not. I don't know. I'm not privy to their internal, you know, uh, uh, advanced planning. But they have fallen in love with the idea of playing a fast game. And I have heard this first. First, when, when the NHL first came back to Winnipeg, 
It was all about playing a heavy game. And then it became a fast game. Well, I think, frankly, maybe the combination of those two is the solution here, as evidenced by the St. Louis Blues and the Washington Capitals over the last two years winning Stanley Cups. And I'm not sure that the Jets... Well, I'm not sure they played the fast game fast enough for Calgary, but they certainly didn't play a heavy game enough. No, and, you know, watching, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a hockey fan, so I watch as much as I can of, of all the other games, and especially with the playoffs on, now that I'm back from Edmonton, I've been tuning in, you know, I'm, I'm loving the around-the-clock games here, Steve, and you certainly see a, a style that is successful, right? And just look at a team like the Columbus Blue Jackets, who... You could easily say on paper the Columbus Blue Jackets are not nearly as talented as the Winnipeg Jets, but look at the style they play and look at the kind of players they have in their lineup. Um, they, they go all out every shift. They defend like their life depends on it. And to me, I mean, the old adage, defense wins championships, right? The Jets were a very leaky defensive team this year, and they would have been a hell of a lot worse if not for Connor Hellebuck's nightly heroics, but kind of tying all your hopes to your goalie, bailing you out night after night, that is not a long-term blueprint for success. And, you know, we saw what happened in the Calgary series. Connor Hellebuck was just average, right? He wasn't terrible, but he also wasn't, he wasn't standing on his head, and, and the Jets were no match for Calgary as a result. So... I agree that the Jets, I think they have to change their style. Is some of that coaching, perhaps? And I do wonder, Steve, we talk about, you know, is Kevin Shovelday off on a short leash? How about a guy like Charlie Huddy, an assistant coach who has been here from this start? He was one of the originals that came in with Claude Noel. Uh, Ten years, I mean, is, is it time to look at a new defense coach for this team as well? And I do wonder... You're seeing it in other markets. Look at what the Pittsburgh Penguins did this week. Um, And the Penguins had a a lot better regular season than the Jets. Jim Rutherford came out and absolutely shredded his team. Uh, And then they relieved every assistant coach, including, you know, some really prominent names, Mark Recchi, Sergei Gonchar. Um, Like, they're not messing around. And I know, again, it goes back to the loyalty of True North. But at what point do you... You have to do a good, hard internal look and say, loyalty's only gotten us so far here. Maybe we need to start making some substantial changes. Yeah, I think that the, you know, everything always should start, you know, ends at the, the top like that. And this isn't quite the top, obviously, this is the coaches, but coaching goes for sure needs to be looked at as well. Yeah, the other thing I want to bring up here in this, in this segment here is I got a, I got an email from, uh, um, last week after the Jets got eliminated, I got an email from my high school guidance counselor. Um, his name is Dennis Nord. Uh, Dennis uh, uh, was the manager of the National Women's Volleyball Team. Dennis is also a member of the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame and is a longtime um, handler of athletes. And um, And I'm sure he won't mind. Uh, he often has sent me emails for years um, since I... He's, he's probably shocked that I do what I do, given how I behaved in high school. And anyways, that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> I think he told me that one time over a, over a drink in the Marvel Club. <laughs> anyways, um, um, the question of fitness came up. 
particularly some a couple of particularly one player. I'm going to single this guy out again. I, I have I'm not shy to do this. Is uh, uh, while the pandemic was on, Patrick Liney spent a lot of time on the golf course. Um, we're told that he admitted that he didn't skate at all and spent no time in the gym. Um, you know, I go to a gym where NHL players train, and I see what goes into training as an NHL hockey player, and I also understand that fitness, strength, strength and conditioning is uber important. It can make you or break you in the NHL. So, and this comes from people who train NHL players. Right. I'm not sure that I see that in all of the Winnipeg Jets, and I'm going to mention Patrick Liney. One guy, like they have some guys, guys like Andrew Kopp, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, geez, these guys, like, oh my God, like, you know, they're conditioned to the nth degree. But, you know, how does a guy that, what was his salary here this year, $8 million or something like that? And just how do you not be ready to go? And then you get hurt in the first game. Like, that's, right. you know, this is what happens. And and he's a guy, Steve, during the two-week summer training camp here in Winnipeg and then the even the preseason game that they played against Vancouver, the, at the exhibition game, I mean, to me, he looked like a half step behind everybody else, right? And and that's a bit alarming for sure, uh, especially a guy that, you know, we're told is is still optimistic that he can cash in with a big mega deal. Um, you know, to kind of half-ass it, uh, you know, this isn't the 1980s where you can get away with that. Like, there were a lot of great players, and you would know this better than I, Steve, uh, there were great players back in the day who didn't take fitness seriously at all, right? They'd show yeah. up first. Yeah. They'd use training camp to get in shape. I mean, they, they were smoking cigarettes and guns yeah. and and all that. But not in 2020. Like, you have to be in pristine condition. And I agree. I mean, one of the things I've heard just covering the team for a few years here is when we talked last year about some of the source of anger within the Jets' room, I think a big part of that was, you know, when Blake Wheeler having issues with certain players, I have no doubt that Blake Wheeler took some players, including Lion A, to task for what was perceived as a lack of, of focus, a lack of dedication. And I mean, imagine having a leader like Blake Wheeler who eats, breathes, and sleeps the game. And then you're a Patrick Lion A, you know, eating McDonald's, playing video games, working on your golf game, which Patrick Lion A told us he's down to a five handicap. Like, wouldn't it be great if he could work on his hockey game as much as his golf game? Yeah. Planning to change careers at some point. I guess so, yeah. Great great to hear that he got that handicap down so long. Here, this is, this, I, I don't know whether this is dumb or not on my part, but I was aghast when watching the hockey game, game four, between the Jets and the Flames. Uh, Patrick Liney, they showed Patrick Liney sitting in the stands with his earbuds on or whatever, looking at his phone. Yeah, and like he was wearing red. The sea of red. Like what the hell? Like why are you wearing red, dude? Like, like it, seriously? Like the exact? I, I mean, maybe it's maybe he just likes that hoodie or something. But could you not find a blue one? Like, what are you thinking? Like, I'm, I maybe it's not a big deal. There's nobody else watching or whatever. But wh- how do you show up to a game versus the Flames wearing red? <laughs> That, that, that isn't a good look, that's for sure. Um, no. Is he wearing his hat, Steve, that had the no no, no cameras, no photography? 
because he's got he, they showed him earlier in the series he was wearing a hat that it was like a no paparazzi hat I'm not sure what that message was was all about but he's a he's a strange duck that's for sure marches to his own beat and of course you know we in the media we often enjoy his candor like he's very self-deprecating he's he's almost honest to a fault sometimes but yeah you you know if you're if you're around Patrick Liney um, and if you're like Jets coach Paul Maurice, it was interesting. Maurice said on Thursday about his exit meetings with some players. He said some meetings were very easy, you know, lots of praise for the players. And then he didn't name names, but he said, but then there's meetings where you you tell some cold, hard truths to players about things they need to work on and get better at. And honestly, when Paul Maurice said that on Thursday, the first name that came to mind is Patrick Lining. All right, Mike, we're back for the third period of our Jet Setra podcast. That's where we do the Setra part for you folks at home. That's the stuff that's not about the Jets. Uh, Mike, I'm going to really lean on you uh, this period because I've been paying attention to absolutely nothing over the last week. <laughs> but actually, that's, I'm not missing anything if I'm covering or watching the CFL now, am I? So let me give you... I don't know if this counts, or this isn't really breaking news, but this is what our Jeff Hamilton uh, just tweeted uh, less than an hour ago. He said, and I believe Jeff's writing on this today, he said, it's been a weird day looking into the CFL. After a number of calls already, I'm left with two feelings. There will be no final decision made today on 2020. Big surprise. And stay with me here, Jeff says. There's more optimism now than I've heard in weeks. Still feels like a major long shot. I don't know. Um, you're on holidays this week, so you might have missed it. But earlier today, I believe it was Arash Madani reported that there's word that multiple CFL teams, and he named Toronto as one, speculating BC and Montreal are the others, that they are adamant that they do not want to play at all this year. They don't want a sprint season. And this thing is just, this is completely unraveling, Steve. I mean, are we going to now see, they're talking about a six-game schedule as the best-case scenario, right? But, is yeah. it possible we're going to have a six-game schedule and a six-team league if some teams decide to opt out? And I guess the other thing is, like, there's been players openly mocking the idea of Americans coming up to Winnipeg, which would be the hub, and having to quarantine for 14 days. Like, there are players that have flat out said, hell no, I'm not doing that. Um, almost making a mockery of the whole thing. Like, come on, pull the plug already, right? Yeah, they should have pulled the plug a long time ago. Um, and, um, I mean, the lack of, you know, we've chronicled over and over here the lack of leadership that uh, Commissioner Randy Ambrosi has exhibited through all of this. Um, like, I get it that you, you know, you want to, uncover every overturn every stone to try to to try to have a season to try to have some continuity i mean to lose a whole year is you know i but i don't know that losing a year here devastating to the to the league and that nobody's ever going to watch the cfl again i mean i don't buy that um i think that people i think that actually what's happened here um trying to do this season that the way they're doing it and then hypothetically, even if they managed to pull this off, I think they're doing more damage to the league 
and the credibility of the league over the last six weeks, you know, sure. than, than just pulling the plug and saying, hey, folks, let's start again in 2021 if we can. Like, it just would have been, you know, and we're not going to take your money. And, you know, I, I somebody, I, I got another email from another guy, not another guidance counselor, by the way. <laughs> How many guidance counselors did you have? I needed a lot, Mike. Um, so, <laughs> um, anyways, um, this fellow was a, a long time. She's a ticket holder, and he was agreeing with me on the fact that Randy and Rosie should be fired. Uh, but he also said that he'd heard that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and some teams may ask their season ticket holders to, to donate what they've already paid to the league, right? And this guy said he would be more than willing to do that. He had no problem to do that except if the money was going to pay the salary of Mike O'Shea. And so, yeah, he had no problem, right? He, he says, you know what? I, unless O'Shea was to take a pay cut to like $125,000. That's what he said. That sounded pretty fair, you know, which is because it's a lot more money than most people make, right? But the reality is, is the league continues to pay some of its highest paid personnel through all of this, and I think that's what's going to leave a really bitter taste in not only the players, but the fans. And, I mean, honestly, what is Mike O'Shea, how's he spending his days right now? Is he watching game film still from last uh, year? Preparing, like, I mean, what is he doing? What is anybody doing? Yeah, nobody's, nobody's working to the point that they deserve that, that salary. I don't know if you, you probably didn't see this, Steve, and this is one of the concerns about, you know, the idea of quarantining and, and isolating. In the NFL yesterday, a Seattle Seahawks player uh, was released by the team after he got caught trying to sneak a woman into the bubble or the, the, the little the, the team bubble, I guess, that they've created for training camp in Seattle. He actually dressed her up in team gear and tried to pass her off as an employee. She was not. Uh, this just shows the level of, of seriousness that some players, I mean, you could go down the list. MLB last week, two Cleveland, uh, two Cleveland pitchers have been suspended by their team because they went out in Chicago last Saturday night after their team's game in violation of protocol. There was an NBA player a couple weeks ago that got caught at a strip bar outside of the bubble. Like, you're seeing examples like this happening. And that's why a lot of people wonder, like, how seriously... These CFL players, they're not getting paid a lot of money, most of them, especially the Americans, linebackers, things like that. Are they really going to follow protocol when they come up here? And and so, yeah, I mean, Randy Ambrosi, right, continues to be on the side of that milk carton not a peep from the commissioner, which uh, is a bit concerning. Uh, yeah, you know, I haven't, I haven't been. I, I follow the baseball a little bit. I mean, I look at the Jays box score every day, try to see how some of the players are doing. I really, I, I, I'm having a hard time taking this whole MLB season seriously. So um, I haven't even watched a game. Yeah, even, and I actually canceled my Sportsnet this week because there's the Jets are not going to be on now. And, and I, my, I might re-subscribe uh, once we get a little deeper into the playoffs. I'm not as big a hockey fan as you. I, one thing, I, I, I might, though, re-subscribe to watch the Raptors. I'm more interested in the Raptors. And, and the NBA, 
the NBA has done a decent job here. Uh, they've contained things within the bubble, and they've and they and they have competitive games, and there's a legitimacy to to what they're doing, finishing up the season, getting it seated, and they're going to start the playoffs. And, and and I really like this Raptors team. They they look actually like they could be just as good as last year's team, if not even better. Not so reliant on Ka- uh, Kawhi Leonard. Right. And so, um, I, yeah, I like their I like their team a lot. So um, I have I have been watching and paying to the NBA a little bit more. Yeah. I think I told you this last summer, Steve. I mean, you you sent me to Toronto, of course, to go cover the NBA Finals, which was an absolute bucket list uh, assignment. And and I must admit that was my first up close look at the NBA. I absolutely fell in love with the athleticism of watching you know, the best basketball players in the world up close like that. It was, it was a treat. And I agree. I, uh, because of that assignment last, last June, I've become much more of a basketball fan than I ever was. And I'll be tuning in just to tie this all up in a bow. You talk about how hard it is to get into the major league season. This sums it up perfectly to me. Look at the national league central standings today. The Cincinnati Reds have played 19 games that's almost one-third of their 60-game schedule. In their same division, the St. Louis Cardinals have played five games uh, oh. because of, of COVID. They've oh. basically been sidelined for the last three weeks. They're going to return to play this weekend. It sounds like they have about eight or nine double-headers planned in the next month, which is just insane to try and get caught up. But I agree, Steve. I mean, the baseball season, and I'm a baseball fan, but it, yeah. it's... I'm not really interested either this year. Okay, folks, we're back for the overtime period of our Jets Central podcast. As we mentioned a couple of times in the first three periods, uh, I'm on vacation, Mike. Um, I was uh, out uh, biking. I finally made it to Mississippi. So, folks, there's a bike trail at Mississippi Ski Park that you take a chairlift up. And then you ride your bike down a variety of different trails. There's 15 different trails there. And they're called flow trails. It's called a flow trail because basically you ride your bike and you, you don't really need to pedal because you're kind of going downhill and you're flowing on these different stuff like that or whatever. So it's spectacular. Like, it's so good. Um, I also stopped at Nipah. I met with a guy named Alex Mann. Alex is a guy that has his fingerprints all over all the biking uh trails in manitoba um he designs them and, and builds them for a firm for an engineering firm here in winnipeg and they're building a track in this big hole in the ground in nipua and so i met with him there and i you know and i managed to convince the boss that this was a good story for our sports section or maybe even 49.8 so i'm actually not even using vacation days mike this is great <laughs> that that is uh that is a veteran move on your part, Steve. <laughs> Absolute veteran move. You know, I'm concerned, though, Steve. Should we be giving residents of Brandon a warning every time you head west? Because I want to take you back to the beginning of July. You went out. That was when you were going to do this bike ride at first. Yeah. If I recall, you went out that way, and Brandon and the western Manitoba area got hit with like historical rains right major flooding well the north 
Thanks, Jen, for helping us, and uh, we'll talk to you all later. Take care.